the podcast for the inquisitive diver. Hey there, dive buddies, and welcome to the show. When I started diving, I knew very little about the critical state our oceans are in. I knew even less about the inhabitants of our seas. This week's guest made a comment yesterday about feeling a little out of place coming onto the show after the highly experienced divers I've had on so far. My reply, and I'd like to highlight it now, is that you don't have to be a dive pro or have thousands of dives in your logbook to make a difference to the betterment of the marine life roaming around our watery world. Heck, you don't even need to be a diver. Jonathan Clark is a full-time school teacher, advanced diver with 105 dives, and sacrifices his own time volunteering for Sea Shepherd as Queensland's coordinator of the Apex Harmony campaign. Dono, volunteering your time to protect wildlife is worth thousands of dives in my eyes, buddy. Welcome to the show. G'day, Matt. Thank you so much for um, having me on and uh, giving me this great opportunity to have a chat with yourself and uh, your podcast uh, audience. Oh, I'm nice super to be excited, here. mate. I've even got the Sea, <laughs> sea Shepherd t-shirt on. I see that. It's not just a Sea Shepherd t-shirt. It's the uh, Sea Shepherd Dive t-shirt. It is. I know, I know some people in our organisation would be pretty happy about that. Yeah, I got super excited when I saw it. I think um, our mutual friend, Lisa, um, she was the, the young lady that, uh, that had it on stock and uh, I snaffled it up as quick as I could Fantastic. after this one for a long time. <laughs> no, you can't let an opportunity go by, hey? <laughs> no. So um, diving, how, how did you get into diving? Yeah, well, you know, I, I've come to it, um, you know, reasonably late uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I regard myself as a bit of a baby diver. I'm, I'm at 105 right now and, uh, you know, on, on reflection, they, they had scuba diving as an elective when I was at school and I, I wish I knew then what I know now and, 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 and could have gotten into it then. But um, I don't know. I, I guess part of it too is it's, it's, it's um, a fairly uh, um, money resource hungry type uh, sport too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Once you're into it, you can say goodbye to your bank balance for sure. <laughs> worse, worse than golf, I think. But, uh, but, you know, what you get out of it is, is fantastic. But, but I came to it um, only, oh, about – about four years or so ago and um so already you know either just before or just after I turned 50 but um it came through my volunteering I ended up um a a sea shepherd volunteer and then involved in the apex harmony campaign and then actually getting in the water at um drum lines and shark nets very very nervously I might add um before I started uh, (laughs) before I started scuba diving and um now scuba diving is that is that place I can go to that really does take me away from the pressures of my work life and my volunteer life because you know um, when 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 you do the stuff like I do it, you know it, it's a bit of a passion and an obsession and takes a heck of a lot of time and um, it's in your head all the time and some of the stuff we do is pretty confronting uh, when you go out week after week after week and are confronting or putting it yourself right there with um, dead animals in shark nets, uh, you, you do need a bit of a relief, a relief from it. And um, one of the things I love with the diving is just hanging with um, with the clients. <laughs> we, go, <laughs> we go out there with our clients and, and just uh, get to appreciate them in that, in, in that natural environment. And and that's something that the, the diving really has done for me, mm. you know, 
other than, you know, where I dive up at uh, Mooloolaba, you know, there's a bunch of good dive buddies and, and uh, I've, I've made some really good friendships through, you know, both the, uh, the Sea Shepherd volunteering and through, uh, through the diving as well. Mm. Oh, Mooloolaba. Um, yeah. Kai Steinbeck was on the show uh, a couple of months ago. He's um, recently moved down to Mooloolaba and doing the IDC stuff out of the dive centre there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I, I dive through um, a, a group called Scuba World up there. Okay, um, and 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 doing all my qualifications with them, and uh, you know, it's, it's it's a really good setup out there, and I've got some really good dive resources out there. The reefs got really good out there, and uh, the XHMAS Brisbane is is something special. Yeah, I, I I was talking to Kai about it. He said it's it's pretty damn awesome. Yeah, I'll have to do it when yeah. I come up there at some point. I might have to tell you a bit about that later on. <laughs> <laughs> so, forgive me, um, you, you would assume, and I know we should never assume, but you would assume that you would get into diving and then, much like myself, realise the devastation that's going on and looked towards um, volunteering to help charities and organisations. But it sounds like you've done yours in the reverse. Is that right? I think a lot of people do um, progress uh, to an awareness of, of the oceans and, and the plight from being in close contact with it. Um, I I came to it really quite late and uh, um, I guess it was just being involved with people who, who kept saying to me, do, do, you, do you dive? Mm. <laughs> no, not yet. And... Um, I, I, I guess just being in in close proximity to people who were who were dive, uh, diving regularly and and having places so close to me that are pretty special mm. and uh, just one thing led to another and uh, I ended up uh, starting my uh, scuba diving down down on the Gold Coast and uh, just just in the seaway there and yeah. uh, it was really quite nice you know uh, <laughs> but. It's when I went to uh, some of the other other special places around, like uh, Julian Rocks, for example, down at mm. Byron Bay, which is rather gorgeous. And uh, you know, th- then progressing to having my first shark dives, and of course, the first of those are a bit, bit, you know, a little bit nervy and that sort of thing. And and yes. you know, and, and I, I guess um, you know, when you're hanging in the water with with an animal that's much much larger than you are uh, is 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 really quite an eye opening experience. But you know, I have I haven't yet dived with um, the big ones. Okay, I haven't I haven't had a white shark swim past me. Um, yeah, I'm, I, with, I you, I'm with you on that one. I've not had a, a white here yet. <laughs> I, I've got I've got a good mate of mine who um, who gave me a very special phone call, very excitedly uh, calling me up and telling me that uh, he'd just uh, gotten out of the water and. Uh, down at Julian Rocks, he was uh, mid-water with a dive buddy, just the two of them, and uh, out of the blue, on the same level as, as them, uh, a white shark came through straight towards them, swam by, gave them the eyeball, the whole the whole works. He turns around to his dive buddy and gives him the, the, the whole, you know, dangerous shark that way, yeah. <laughs> and his dive buddy gave him the what didn't see a thing and 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 what do you do you you, you turn around and you swim straight after it and uh yeah sure enough it turned around went uh by them again and uh um gave them you know the thrill of a lifetime yeah and and he said it was absolutely cool 
as a cucumber. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm still not sure how I'm going to respond when I have my first white or tiger mm. um, shark because um, I've never ever seen a white shark. Uh, and the only tiger sharks I've seen are, are dead. Uh, yeah. A whole lot of my firsts with with sharks are, of course, just by the nature of what I've been doing these last few years, have either been dead on a drumline or, or, or dead in a shark net, or or live and stressed out on, on a drumline. And uh, um, I've watched several tiger sharks that we've uh, found hanging off drumlines, who, um, you know, by because of the protocols we follow, which are all, all about being able to maintain a campaign that's going to make a difference, uh, we know that when we find a live animal on, on a shark net that the ultimate outcome is it's, it's going to be killed. Mm. Uh, and we've had to witness that directly uh, several times. And, and it's it's not pretty and it's it's stressful. And, um, and when you see animals in that situation all the time, it makes you sort of wonder how it's going to be when when you when you see them in the you know in the natural state mm. and and you know I, I can relate to all the diver stories that tell me about tiger sharks when you see them in clear water how you know they're very interested in you they'll 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 show that they know you're there and they'll be um, pretty cool and they might go around in circles and all that sort of stuff but um you know they'll they'll leave you alone yeah um so i'm I, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that experience but i, I know it's going to be quite interesting but I, I i would challenge anyone to be a bit trepidatious about that the first time <laughs> to, to be honest buddy um i mentioned it on a previous podcast but the first time i saw a tiger shark the, the missus was pointing in the distance and i thought she was just pointing at another turtle because we're over this big sandbar and um this big gaping mouth just come back towards us I'm like, oh jesus and it was the first ass twitch that i'd had underwater for about seven years um, but then that soon comes out of the way and uh you know, excitement takes over. It's just a majestic animal. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I have experienced the the gaping mouth coming at you, but that was you know a, not a natural situation. That was a tiger shark with a hook through its head and on a, on a drumline, and the mm. poor thing was was struggling, stressed, and uh, you know uh, any animal in that kind of situation is uh, going to be uh, you know behaving in, in the same kind of way mm. it's, it's it's a self-preservation thing and uh and yeah so while it's um you know disconcerting and scary mm. uh i think seeing them in the natural environment it, it, it is what i need to do yeah, yeah. But, um, well um just for just for people that are listening in um because uh, we're, we're getting into the uh the nitty gritty bits there yes um because drum lines and netting and all that kind of stuff it isn't actually that common in many places in the world so um let's let's start out with um if you'd like to explain like the hierarchy of of sea shepherd and where it sits in in uh the global presence and then into your operation as it were and then we can we can then describe what's going on with these drum lines and whatnot so sea shepherd's a, a global organization it um began in 1977 so uh uh, quite some time ago. What, what's that? Uh, well over 40 years. I remember us uh, making a pretty big deal about our 40th anniversary. And um, so that started uh, with uh, in Canada with um, uh, Paul Watson uh, going up against the uh, the seal hunts, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
the organisation has grown to be a, a worldwide movement and uh, cons- consists of three main bodies um, internationally. So you've got the sea, sea Shepherd Conservation Society, which is the uh, United States-based group, mm-hmm. which is quite a separate entity to the other two, which is Sea Shepherd Global, uh, based in Europe, and Sea Shepherd Australia. Um, so there's some strategic reasons for uh, them being quite separate entities, but Sea Shepherd Global and Sea Shepherd Australia work very, very closely together, lots of sharing of resources and uh, and personnel and those sorts, sorts of things. But uh, there's certainly a lot of interchange uh, between the three organisations and volunteers can uh, uh, work with with all three on, on various campaigns. And there's certainly been uh, uh, several people who've worked with me on the Apex Harmony campaign who've stepped up and gone into some of the global and Sea Shepherd uh, Conservation Society ship-based campaigns mm-hmm. uh, in, in different parts of the world. But uh, people will probably know of Sea Shepherd from uh, possibly from having seen uh, the Whale Wars uh, uh, episodes on uh Animal Planet uh, uh, years ago, which were based around the uh, anti-whaling campaigns that were happening in the Southern Ocean uh, for about 10 years where our ships were heading south each season to to take it to the Japanese whalers there and try and and prevent them from uh, uh, killing whales. And uh, people will be familiar with that. And, of course, that campaign's over now because uh, there is no longer whaling going on in in the Southern Ocean. Well, so so people with beards as grey as ours might be uh, familiar with it. I don't know about the millennials. (laughs) And and that's right, yeah. So um, it's definitely uh, changing because, uh, of course, we've always got to remind ourselves that uh, what we grew up with is is quite different. And even Mm. thinking back, 10 years uh, is not that hard for, for us, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's um, different for, for, you know, the 20-somethings coming through. Mm. Um, and, you, and you just meant, on- sorry, you mentioned that the uh, that Sea Shepherd's got these uh, got the ships um, and they are big, badass-looking pieces of gear, aren't they? Um, oh, yeah. How, how many have you got now? Um, I believe that there's uh, it's, it's a number that varies from time to time, and, it, and it's growing um, all the time. But uh, there's currently twelve active ships. Wow! As I understand it, in worldwide campaigns, and okay. uh, and, and they range from um, you know one ship that was built brand new for us, uh, the Ocean Warrior, mm-hmm. um, through to old ships. You know, the, the Bob Barker, which had a history as a, as a um, whaling ship and as a uh, as a fisheries inspection ship. Uh, so. <laughs> Sea Shepherd's very good at recycling old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the Sam Simon, for example, was a, uh, a ship that was uh, purchased um, in, in a quite the coup um, from the Japanese uh, whalers. Uh, it was one of their ships, uh, which we managed to uh, purchase and, and uh, turn around and put it up, up against them. And it's one of our very, very important ships now. Sea Shepherd Australia, um, apart from working with Global, also has a couple of campaigns uh, in our own uh, backyard here. And and we had um, Operation Jetera, which was uh, uh, a campaign over the last few years, and it's still ongoing, uh, but that one was about uh, trying to keep big oil out of the Great Australian Bite uh, stop. Uh, platforms going down in there to, to mine for oil uh, in, in a place that's totally inappropriate to do so. Mm. Uh, we've also got the marine debris campaign, which is 
which is a huge campaign in the sense that it is bringing so many people into um, direct contact with, uh, with 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 issues that affect the ocean. So uh, we have uh, beach cleanups in all sorts of places around the country mm-hmm. uh, where local chapters are, you know, up at Maroochydore, out of Sydney, down in Melbourne, various places in Western Australia, get out and, and do a beach cleanup. So the campaign that I'm coordinating is is called Apex Harmony. It's our, it's our shark campaign. And um, we, back in about 2013, there were a few of us in Sea Shepherd um, and, and I certainly wasn't one of the initial ones that kicked this off but there were there were people in the organization who were seeing the need for a shark campaign because they know they they were learning about the uh the shark nets and drum lines that that are just off our coasts and so there were people who were going to the extent of um you know purchasing a boat or a jet ski getting a group of people together to, to head out and check these things out and this was all happening about the same time that in 2014 there were a couple of really terrible and unfortunate um, shark bite incidents and even um, uh, fatalities in Western Australia, and there was a, a response from the uh, the state government at the time uh, where they went on a um, a shark cull. Uh, they installed uh, drum lines off off the coast of uh, off Western Australia, and the effect of that was profound and immediate. Um, there were people down there from the surfing community, uh, from the general community, from all over who objected to this. And uh, what came out of it was thousands of people assembling on the on the beaches there uh, in Western Australia out of Perth and protesting on this and made their voices very, very clear. And it was probably a contributing factor to the downfall of that, that government in the end because uh, the Premier at the time was all, you know, happy to get him his photograph taken in the newspaper holding up, you know, great big shark hooks and all this sort of thing and, you know, trying to appeal to that. Um, really negative uh, response and uh, the community didn't have a bar of it mm-hmm. and uh, Apex Harmony grew out of that because there were people down there um, and, and look the, the campaign wasn't just Sea Shepherd either there were a bunch of people coming from from various organisations and there was uh, uh, people working together some people working within the organisation some some without taking all sorts of different approaches uh, to it but um uh, from, on the Sea Shepherd side of it, uh, there were um, some people down there that um, donated a, a boat uh, to enable us to have people out there on the water every single day monitoring the uh, the fisheries response to it and, and showing people what was going on. So, so what, you know... Uh, what, what is the response? You know, when they say they're going to have a shark call, can you paint a picture? Because, I mean, I, I, I've never seen any of it. Um, even though I've been here for three years, and I'm sure there's people that have never visited Australia won't have a clue what it actually might look like. So how 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 do they catch the shark? What do they use? Yeah. Uh, so so yeah. Let, let's let's uh, rewind a little bit and 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 just have a look at the mechanics involved here. So what Western Australia did back in 2014 was to to use um, a device called a drum line. Okay. And a drumline generally uh, consists of 
Um, it starts off with a couple of floats on the water and, you know, I'm holding my hands up here on a podcast to show everyone <laughs> <laughs> what it looks like. But um, a large plastic buoy, you know, uh, half a metre, 60 centimetres round, mm-hmm. um, it's anchored to the seafloor and then it'll have another um, uh, line running off it. Uh, so it'll have rope and chain with a really large hook on it. When I say really large hook, I, I got fairly big hands and I, I'll span my hand fully and I'll, I'll show you a J hook um, with my two hand spans uh, to, to show the size of that hook. Now, it's a hook so that is... 30 centimetres, something like that? At least, yeah. Mm. Um, and it's absolutely 100% designed to kill sharks. It's not designed to, to catch and then release or anything like that. It is 100% designed to, to, to kill them. Uh, and tiger sharks, of course, are, are a very robust animal. And when they're caught on these uh, the, these drum lines, uh, they can last a long time. So it's, it's, it's a long, torturous uh, effect on that. But um, that's so, essentially so the, what it is. So the idea is to get them onto a big hook that's got a barb on it so they can't get off. That's right. The shark will hang there having swum around in circles and uh, end up going um, upside down because they're deprived of oxygen. They, they, they just can't get the water through their gills. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, they await their fate, which is uh, for the fisheries officers to come around and drag them up and um, and and shoot them and uh this is indeed what happened in western australia and of course uh, uh a whole lot of people including sea shepherd uh were out there with their cameras and just bringing this live to to people and mm. and showing people exactly what was going on and uh yeah so uh what i can reflect on that is that um in western australia it was a uh a program introduced in a reactive response by government and when that happens in an environment where people are so connected with the ocean you get a reaction and they got a reaction and uh, it was it was very negative towards the government i contrast that with queensland queensland introduced drum lines on the gold coast in 1962 we've had them for decades and so we've got this element of complacency here because I've been here for so long and we've got a government that's not very transparent on it. That's changed uh, and I would happily stand up and say that that's changed in large part to actions like our group, okay. um, to our campaign and others doing, doing working in this space. Look, there's been a history over many years of people trying to draw attention to it, to it but... Um, what makes a difference is when you bring together people who go out there and get in the water and take photographs of the devastation that is caused, you know, animals that are hanging in a, in a, in a shark net or on a drum line that have been bitten in half by something bigger. Mm. And when you take those images uh, and put them out there using social media, which has kind of come through at the same time, the power of the social media stuff started to increase about the same time as we were starting to be able to do this. Um, and your groups like ours have, have learnt over time how to use social media really well. And uh, that's part of what's making a difference here and, and, mm. and bringing that to people so that they understand what's going on. So, yeah, the drum lines started uh, being deployed on the Gold Coast in 1962 and have had their numbers increased uh, with further rollouts through to the 1980s. Um, and now the drum lines in, in Queensland 
are in the water from north of Cairns, right up to the north of our state, mm-hmm. down to the very southern tip of our state at a place called Snapper Rocks, where, where Queensland borders New South Wales. So we've got drum lines at all the major centres uh, of, of Queensland. And they're a permanent fixture? They're a permanent fixture uh, in there 24-7, 365 days a year, except for the Great Barrier Reef, where that only changed in uh, 2019. And that was a major um, event that caused that change. And uh, I'll come back to that one because I think the Great Barrier Reef deserves a special mention. We'll talk about that one shortly too. Uh, But, yeah, so over those decades, the – the number of drum lines has increased and we've also had shark nets uh, in Queensland. So Queensland and New South Wales are probably unique in the world um, other than South Africa uh, where shark nets are used as a device to supposedly mitigate shark bite incidents. And uh, in Queensland, those shark nets are a Queensland-style shark net is uh, 186 metres in length. Um, it has a drop of six metres. Mm-hmm. So from the surface, it'll go down six metres and uh, it'll be deployed in about uh, 12 metres of water. Okay. Um, and it'll be about five, 450, 500 metres out from the beach. So 186 metres, about long net. They're a big device in... You know, when you're up close to it or you're hanging off it or you're swimming right beside it, which you're not allowed to do anymore, but that's another story. But um, when you're right up close to it, it's a big device. When you zoom back and consider the size of it in relation to a 32-kilometre beach where there are 11 of them deployed on the Gold Coast, they're tiny. They're tiny when you think of them as a barrier, which so they're not. So what, what purpose do they give? What's the point? They're a gill net. They are there 100% for the sole purpose of killing sharks. So so we're not backwards and coming forwards about this. We mm-hmm. call it a shark cull. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, the government d- denies this uh, very strongly. So we're not culling sharks. But you look at the definition of what a, what a cull is, and it's, it's about re- reduction of the numbers of any animal in its natural environment. And um, the... Uh, these, their own policy is about reducing the number of sharks as a means to mitigate uh, possible shark bite incidents. Mm. Uh, and, and we believe it doesn't work. Uh, you know, there have been uh, quite a lot. It's in, in the order of um, 60-odd shark bite incidents between Queensland and New South Wales over the time that they've had those um, those devices in place at nets that are supposedly pr- protected, but we don't hear about those things. Mm. Um, so uh, they're an archaic um, uh, technology. You know, since the 1960s, 1962 in Queensland, 1935 they were first trialled in New South Wales, and in 1937 um, implemented fully uh, in New South Wales. Now it's a similar setup in New South Wales, slight variations, slightly smaller nets, 150 metres, but they're bottom set. So they anchor them to the sea floor, mm. six metres tall in about 10 to 12 metres of water. Uh, so they catch a hell of a lot of, a lot of rays in, yeah. in New South Wales, yeah. Um, but so it's just a different style. Uh, they don't have 
what are called traditional drum lines in New South Wales. Uh, in recent years, I've opted for something called the smart drum line. Um, and Sea Shepherd's position is that we don't support smart drum lines. Uh, governments love a nice acronym, don't they? SMART, S-M-A-R-T. It makes people think, oh, it's high tech, new, must be sort of <laughs> kind to the environment and all that sort of BS. Um, another acronym. Uh, but SMART stands for Shark Management Alert in Real Time. And they, these type of drum lines were developed in one of the only other places in the world that you have active killing of sharks to try and mitigate shark bites, and that's La Reunion Island uh, in the Indian Ocean. Uh, so, so this is a, a, a French development, I guess. Mm. And these drum lines, uh, the way they're implemented in New South Wales is with a smaller shark hook. So they're not necessarily designed to kill sharks, although they do um, have that effect, especially on hammerheads, which are susceptible uh, to being caught. Uh, the trick, the tricks that, uh, the, the technology that smart drum lines have is that they have a device in them that um, sets off a trigger, an alarm that uses electronics to send text messages uh, via satellite so that when an animal is caught on the drum line, uh, it, it can be attended to really quickly. Mm. So the way that they're implemented in New South Wales is really quite different to, New, to uh, Queensland. Mm -hmm. Queensland, where traditional drum lines are only checked on average every two days. So an animal can be there 48 hours easily um, if it's checked, yeah. excuses for bad weather, all that kind of stuff. But in New South Wales, the, the smart drum lines are deployed in the morning brought back in the afternoon and the contractors stay out or they have a regime where they've got to check within the half an hour of a, of a catch. Yeah. So it's meant to be a catch, tag and release program because uh, they are informing science. And New South Wales, I will give them, you know, the kudos for being a hell of a lot more open about the outcomes of what they're actually doing and being a lot more honest and upfront than, than what happens and has happened in the past in Queensland. But um, this, 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 the outcomes of all of this are available for, for public perusal, et cetera, after a time. Um, I, I do disagree with, you know, the, the publicity that New South Wales government and DPI put around it, and they, they talk about them being um, a preventer, um, a mitigation device. Uh, I can see where smart drum lines can really support shark science. You know, you can uh, – scientists need – to be able to tag animals, to track them, to get some understandings about movement patterns and all that sort of stuff. It's a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. And the smart drumline is a way to do that. And we'll support the use of these devices for science to inform understandings about these things. But um, what New South Wales started to do back from 2015 was deploy these things in great number right out the front of uh surf clubs 50 meters off the surf break and you know there's a message in that and the message is that we're doing something about the shark problem uh and we debate very strongly the the idea that hanging um a baited hook 50 meters 100 meters from surfers is going to provide any safety benefit it's going to attract sharks into that area and it's especially going to do that um, in a regime like Queensland's where those drum lines aren't checked 
um, even every day. And so an animal can be hanging there. Um, I, I've, I've personally found animals in shark nets in Queensland six days old. Uh, we've monitored it and seen the the um, the degradation of, of the animal and the depredation of those animals, big bites taken out them. It's a bit of a spooky feeling when you go down um, with a camera to find a dead animal in a shark net and you see a bloody big bite out of it. You're looking over your shoulder. When, what's when, a, when, what's when, a big when bite? That happens. It's not a good feeling. Um, uh, how, and, uh, how big would you say a big bite is? Let's put some size on these things. Um, well, uh, my friend Holly, Holly Richmond tells, tells a um, story of going down to, to a, um, a ray um, sitting about five metres below the surface and free diving down there and see, seeing a bite. You know, I'm, I'm holding my hands up, a, you know, a good 50, 60 centimetres wide mm. uh, a, a, out of a ray. And, um, you know, that's, that's not an animal you want to encounter in feeding mode. Yeah. Um, and, and especially not up, up beside, a, beside a shark net because, um, you know, what we do uh, is, is, is risky mm-hmm. uh, and, and we acknowledge, acknowledge that up front. But we do what is it. it, what, is it what is it you actually do then? The, you, you dive down to take photos of the, the animals that are caught in the nets and on the hooks? Yep. Do you yeah, try and exactly. release them at all? We often get that question, um, and uh, I can I can say that it is not a normal practice to um, release animals, and why? that's a really bloody tough call to make, and it's one I have to make. Uh, I've got to ask why. The fine in Queensland for interfering with shark nets is in excess of $67,000. Now, the way I put it to people is that I, I personally put a hell of a lot on the line for this campaign and mm. and for the animals in there, but I'm not putting my house on it. You're not going to mortgage um, it, no. And, and, and as soon as we cross that particular line, because we are so overt and upfront and honest about what we do, um, we're an obvious target for um, authorities, for fisheries, for uh, water police, and I've been pulled up, uh, my crew's been pulled up many, many times. Mm. Uh, just a safety check. Let's have a look at your life jackets. Yeah, um, they're out there following what we do. I, <clears throat> I always brief my crews um, out there when we go out there. We have to behave as though we're being watched the whole time. Yeah, because uh, we are. Uh, we're in an environment on the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast, uh, especially the Gold Coast, where there's high-rise buildings and a lot of people with idle time and telescopes who do watch what what you're doing. I, I've had. Um, phone calls while I'm on the boat. Um, Hello, this is uh, Channel 7. Uh, What are you guys doing out at the shark nets? (laughs) (laughs) And it's while we're there. Um, So the eyes are on us all of the time and and those fines are huge. huge, And I'm under no um, illusion that we would be put up for the full maximum. Has anyone questioned why? The fines are so massive. What's the? There must be a lame ass excuse that they're using to put it that high. Uh, it, it, I, I've I've never actually asked the question, but it's you know it comes out in Queensland. They they um, have uh, for all fines for all legislation. It's it's mm. um, a number of unit points, and that um, and, and that's right down to traffic offences. It's a number of unit points, and it allows them to um, each year review all fines and put them up all at once without having to go to individual bits of legislation. And uh, uh, I, I had a funny thought um, 
coming through um, right in the middle of all the COVID stuff uh, from New South Wales to Queensland when the borders, we had to, you know, show our pass to get across. You mm. go past this big sign that says, you know, lying to authorities about um, or avoiding, you know, the COVID check-ins and all that sort of stuff can have a maximum fine of $67,000. I'm looking going, oh, wow, that sounds familiar. That's a convenient um, 200 number. 200 <laughs> unit points. <laughs> but um, that's not the only fine now. So, um, um, you know, in, in New South Wales, uh, the interference fine is um, in the order of $22,000. So, it's it's fairly serious stuff. And then you go back and have a look at the legislation. And um, so, right, what, what, what does interference mean? I was going to say, what what is interference? Yeah. Well, it's a question that we've got to ask, isn't it? Because yeah. we're the ones out there. And, um, you know, does it mean touching a shark net? Because I'll tell you what, when the um, – when the uh, water police come up beside me or um, I've had people come out and, and, and tell me that they're a policeman and they're not. Mm. Um, I've had, um, um, you know, some elements of the uh, surf life-saving community do that. And I don't absolutely don't want to point all members of, of that community this way because we've had quite the opposite in support uh, mm. from, from surf lifesavers. But uh, uh, you get all sorts of different people in, in, in these things. But, um, yeah, uh, so – the the fine at, at sixty seven thousand dollars does put put that big question there, and and it's for interference. Mm. One of the gruesome things that I have to do as a captain on a boat managing this campaign is say to the person who's who's got the camera and they're going to dive down onto a shark net or a drumline with a dead animal. There, I'll say to them. You have to get a photograph right up close. Mm. You have to get the eye in focus and you have to show us injuries. Mm. If there's blood coming out, we have to see it because yeah. it's part of the emotive story. That animal has become an ambassador for all the other animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the question of releasing animals, um, it's it's something that generally we, we haven't, been able to do because of the consequences of what would happen. We know what particularly the Murdoch press would do to us in in that situation and we would lose a lot of what we built up. There's a strong argument for it. We could possibly gain a lot of uh, um, respect too, but it's it's a difficult balancing act. Um, So what we ended up deciding that we needed to do in these circumstances was not just tell the story of the animal but tell the story of the behaviour of the fisheries contractors to tell people this is what happens to these animals. And, you know, we've we've undertaken several sea chases, uh, you know, 32-plus knots chasing the contractors out to sea so that we can show people what they do uh, to these animals. What um, do they do? We've done that. And um, unfortunately, we've always been shaded by about two knots by their bigger boats and all that sort of thing. But, but uh, what, what, what do they do? What do they do with the animals? Um, well, I'll tell the story of, of a shark I found in Bagara, which is a little township near Bundaberg in Queensland. One of the finds was a poor, unfortunate tiger shark of about three metres that we found hanging on a drum line and uh, we, you know, did did what we did there to, to, to uh, tell that animal's story and went back the next day and uh, it was still there. 
um, despite the fact that I'd followed my normal protocol, um, which is when I find a live animal, because I don't want it hanging there, you know, for longer than than is required. It's, it's well, yeah, just absolute minimum. Yeah, it's cruel and, and horrible. Um, I call the shark control program. I call the managers of the shark control program to report it. I say we are at drumline number twenty nine mm-hmm. um, on your system. They know exactly which one it is. They know where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I've revealed what I'm doing. And I say, I'm here and you've got an animal on the line. You need to come and attend to it. Mm. And in that situation, in other situations, um, I I got told the contractor is uh, not available today. They'll come out uh, at their normal time. They'll come out um, on their normal roster. And uh, that... um, you know, results in an animal hanging there for, you know, in excess of 24 hours. So I, I called that uh, that animal in as I do every single time there's a live animal that we find. Mm. I've done it for sharks, I've done it for rays, um, and I've done it for turtles. And the reaction's different. Mm. If it's a shark, we'll get out there when we get out there. Jonathan, um, the contract is due out there. Actually, they don't tell me when the contract is due out there. They'll, tell, they'll come out at their rostered time. Yeah. I've seen them do it to, to a tawny nurse shark who's, you know, one of the gentlest creatures around and absolutely um, not um, on their kill list. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, tiger sharks are and and we know what's going to happen there. And we witnessed the contractor come out on the second day, tie the shark up to the side of his tinny mm. by its tail drag it backwards at six knots for well over an hour out is it, to sea. Is it, is it dead already? No. Um, I, didn't have, I didn't know whether it was dead mm. at that time um, because it was just hanging still on the drum line. Mm. But the contractor tied it up, uh, dragged it backwards by the tail mm. uh, out to out. – they're required to dump them at sea in a deep channel. So we followed them uh, for well over an hour, at which time the contractor pulled up after doing lots of fancy circle work to try and prevent us from uh, photographing what he was doing. Mm. And I saw him lean over the side of the boat. And as he reached towards the um, the shark with his knife, he recoiled. Mm. He stepped back. That told me that shark's still alive. And that's when he got a power head out and um, and killed the shark in front of us and then um, gutted it, removed its liver to sink it. Mm. That's how they do it. Um, yeah. Uh, when, when when you go and see the documentary Envoy Shark Cull. What's it called? Uh, there's, there's a doc- documentary uh, that's uh, going to be premiered again uh, at cinemas in July what's or around about July. Yeah, what's it called? It's called Envoy. Okay. E-N-V-O-Y. Envoy colon shark cull. Envoy shark cull. Envoy shark cull. Okay. Yeah. So um, uh, Andre Borrell uh, is the director of that and uh, – uh, he he has a company called Hype Media. Uh, it's his first documentary, and and he approached us oh, a couple of years ago. Now mm. it was interesting. He um, 
I have people often ask, can, can we have your footage? And we work bloody hard for that footage and, and it's, it's our collateral. It's, it's, it's the, the thing that we have for all of that hard work that we've done. Mm. And um, when somebody comes and asks for it, we've got to be careful of who, whose hands we put it in. Yeah. And um, I, I met Andre and his wife for a, for, a, for a beer in a pub one day to sit down and have a chat, show him what we've got and get him to tell his story about what he wanted to do. And he was putting together a documentary, bringing together a whole lot of people who work in this space to target the Queensland Shark Control Program and the New South Wales Bather Protection Program. They were wanting to get the message out that we were getting out. Now, Sea Shepherd has a long history of, of getting media out it's 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 our strong suit. We 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 pump the media out. We use our social channels, etc. But you know the truth of it is, we have some limitations in what we can do because we've only got a certain audience, and it's such a challenge to to build an audience beyond your own people. Mm. And what Andre was able to to articulate was his intention and ability to go a lot wider than that. And the way he was working was not doing. A, a documentary on behalf of Sea Shepherd or Apex Harmony. He was doing a documentary on behalf of the sharks about the shark bite mitigation programs in Queensland and New South Wales chiefly. It's, like I say, it's it's coming out in, in cinemas all around Australia. Um, we're, we're aiming for, for July. Okay. And uh, is this a, a first release? It has done a, one round of premieres. Uh, we did that in uh, December last year. Uh and we managed to put that up and, and we mostly got uh, audiences from our own people, mm. uh, from our own supporters, and we ran a whole lot of Q&As when we did it. So uh, we, we were sta- at the end of the movie, we were, we were out the front of those cinemas doing Q&A sessions. Mm. And we're going to be doing that as much as we can on this next round as well. Dude, if it's, if it's possible and if it would help, I'd be super keen to see it. And if... Your man there that's directed it wants to come on the podcast. He's certainly more than welcome to. He was, he's one of the people I had in mind of recommending to you uh, for that chat. Uh, he, he's been a breath of fresh air to, to um, us campaigners have been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. he he helped re-motivate us. It gets bloody tiring doing this stuff. It it gets you in the, in the head. Um, it was after a, a solid day. It was the third last implement in the whole of... Uh, the Gold Coast, which has 11 shark nets and 35 drum lines across it. It was the third last of the day and we found this turtle. And I called it in and we were told it's going to be an hour and a quarter. Hold on, can I just back it up a second? 11, 11 shark nets and 35 drums. 11 shark nets, 35 drum lines on the Gold Coast. Um, and how long is the coast again? 30? 32 kilometres. Yeah, and repeat that story for the Sunshine Coast. The numbers are very, very similar there. Um, so it's uh, more drum lines. Uh, I think it's eighty odd uh, across the Sunshine Coast with eleven shark nets again. And are these are these drum lines active twenty four seven? I mean, are they baited all the time? Hey, uh, Matt, that's a really bloody good question. Are <laughs> they baited? Are they baited all the time? Um, I've got a good mate of mine who who helped developed me an online database that I was able to access on my phone. And we started recording this. So we'd come up to every drum line and we'd go, is there bait there? Yes or no? What kind of bait is it? Is it, is it um, 
uh, stingray uh, or is it um, uh, mullet, hmm. which are the two baits they use. And I, we've done runs where there was 90% of them without any bait at all, um, and that's a random sample. I, I, I took the data over um, 18 months randomly going out there and um, I dare say if, if, if we were consistently taking the data by following the, um, the contractor, we would find bait on there all the time, hmm. but we weren't. We were going out there at random times and um, my numbers were in the order of over 80% of the time there's no bait on those drum lines. Okay. That's a, that's a good report. And which brings me to back to my Triple J uh, reporter who was interviewing me mm-hmm. while I'm sitting on the boat as we're driving back on a trip from Noosa. And I was t- told him, mate, 90% of these drum lines today have got no bait on them. And he said, well, wouldn't you guys think that's a good thing? And yes, we would say that's a good thing because that renders that drum line as useless. But part of what we're trying to do is demonstrate the futility of this, um, demonstrating the, the slack procedural um, nature of, of what's going on here, um, the, the BS lies people are being told that having beta drum lines is somehow a mitigation device. It makes no bloody sense. Um, so, no, I don't want to see beta drum lines there at all, let alone baited all the time. But isn't it an interesting point to make that, you know, Towards eighty percent of the time in Queensland, there's no bait on those drum lines. Yeah, we call it the dolphin feeding program because, um, uh, particularly up at Bribie Island, um, we have watched the contractors' boat going along and baiting uh, the drum lines, and the dolphins are following them and diving them. I have got footage of the dolphins going down and being very, very interested in that bait. Yeah. Um, now they're very, very clever little buggers, aren't they? Oh, they are, and <laughs> and I have seen them put their mouth right up over that bait. Yeah. Uh, feeling very guilty at the time because I'm thinking this dolphin's coming here because we're here. We're a boat at the drum line, and they think we're we're baiting it. You know. Mm. Um, yeah. So yes, it's the dolphin feeding program, and they talk about all these things they try to do to mitigate the dolphins. You know, pingers and um, using uh, mullet instead of um, uh, sorry, using um, ray meat instead of mullet. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're certainly interested in it. And, you know, we, we've got some horrible footage back from 2014 of a of a baby dolphin gut-hooked by, by one of these, mm-hmm. these drum lines. With I was going to say that's the problem with even with a, a naked hook, then the possibilities of just getting foul-hooked. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a dolphin, uh, uh, um, it, it happened in 2014, one of our early missions. I wasn't there, but um, certainly seeing the footage and, and the mother of that, that um, baby dolphin going underneath the baby and lifting it to the surface to keep it breathing. Yeah. Again and again and again. Yeah. Um, for the first time last year, uh, there were two incidents of drum lines catching humpback whales. It happened at Stradbroke Island last year. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those uh humpbacks we know uh, because they spent several hours trying to get the hook out of it mm. um, it ended up being um, cut loose dragging a, one of those shark hooks in its peck fin um, with uh, three or four meters of chain three or four meters of line yeah. hanging off it what are the chance of the survival there it's very slim you know, isn't it yeah uh, there's all sorts of these stories all through the system you know uh, 
And uh, so, what's what's the what's the answer? What's what the, the answer? What do, what what does Sea Shepherd want out of the projects that you're doing and the monitoring that you're doing? What what's what is the alternative? Well, one side of my brain goes: shark nets and drum lines do not make beaches safer. Mm-hmm. In fact. It could well be argued because of the hundreds and hundreds of images that that we've obtained um, through our own imagery and the freedom of information um, requests that have brought us the government's own um, imagery of animals that have been bitten by larger animals. We know that those nets and drum lines draw in larger animals. That does not make a beach safer for the people who are swimming and surfing at the beach. So you can get rid of the nets and drum lines and have zero impact on beach safety um, when you balance it all out. So that would be the first let's, thing. Let's be fair as well. You have to point out that people, you know, we get in the water to enjoy it on a hot, sunny day, mm. but you get in at your own risk. You, yeah, can, you but, can't say that I've got to go in the water because I'm a human, all the fish have got to leave me alone. You don't have that right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, most surfers operate that way and feel that way and mm. definitely most um, divers feel feel that way because they, we're not, you know, average Joe is popping down for a swim at the beach and we're not a tourist from overseas. Um, and the line that the government say, tells is that people want to feel safe. And my argument about that is if you tell people that they're safe and, and you give them a false sense of safety, you actually increase their risk because you lead people um, ultimately to take um, risks thinking that they're going to be safer. They're incre- you're increasing their risk. You know, you're putting them in an environment that they wouldn't normally take a risk if they knew what the real risks were. Mm. So let's get rid of the nets and drum lines. But it's a hard sell politically, and we'll absolutely 100% acknowledge that. So here I am sitting off um, Palm Cove, quite literally. I was sitting at Palm Cove thinking, what the hell would I do here? What, what is the solution here? And we're so lucky now because if I go back to the beginning of our campaign in 2014, we didn't have what we have now. We didn't have something called um, the shark safe barrier from from, uh, South Africa. We don't have eco shark barrier that was a Western Australian invention. We didn't have shark shields. We didn't have the drone technology that has artificial intelligence software built in it that can identify sharks in the water. We didn't have all that stuff back then, but we've got it now. And every single one of those ones that I've just mentioned has scientific backing. They have scientific studies that have been done on them that demonstrate that in most situations, not all situations, they do have a mitigating effect. Yeah. You put that up against nets and drum lines that don't, it's an absolute no-brainer. I'm pleased to be able to tell you that the Queensland government, through the fisheries department, through their shark control management, through their scientific working group, however they, you know, all of those bodies that are part of this, mm. must have at some point asked themselves exactly the same question. About the same time I'm sitting up at Cairns asking myself, what am I going to tell people when they ask me, right, what is what is the alternative? The government asked the same question. Mm. And they they commissioned a report, um, the Cardinal Review, into um, non-lethal alternative methods. And they came up with exactly the same thing we did, exactly the same thing we'd been touting. 
just from our experience and our following the space. They did it in much more depth than we were able to, but they came up and looked at a whole range of, of different systems, some that we weren't even aware of. So kudos to them for doing it mm. um, and getting an independent study done on this. When was the study and, done? Sorry? When was the study done? Uh, 2018, released in 2019. 2019, we're now 221, but we've still got shark nets and drums. That's right, yeah. So it's it, it hasn't changed yet, mm. and we think it will. Um, so it, it's, it is really positive that it's happened. Um, but what they came up with was that drones are – the drone technology, provided it's in the hands of trained operators, beach safety experts – Let's get surf lifesaving involved mm-hmm. and train an arm of surf lifesaving to, to, to do these. So drones. Well, better, better still, better still, those contractors that are getting paid a little bit of money to go out there and drag a shark for an hour or so and then put a bullet in its head. Why not train them how to use the drones and do the job that they're doing at the safety of being on land? And they're still no. getting employment then as well. Um, look, because, I mean, at some point the government's going to say, well, there's X amount of people that are going to lose jobs over this. So why not use those at, people to retrain them to do the same job? I'm going to say no to that. Um, why? Why? Because I think we can have a net effect of more employment. Um, so based on that Cardinal review, hmm. uh, a crew of four of us, myself, uh, Andre Borrell, the director of uh, Envoy Shark Cow, hmm. Uh, Leo Guida from Australian Marine Conservation Society, the three of us, and um, Larry Klebeck from HSI remotely sat literally on my back deck with that Cardinal review and costed it. We sat down and had a look at the way you would deploy shark um, uh, drones and Eco shark barrier. So, shark, um, drones in the southern part of the state where you've got clearer waters where um, sharks, um, eco shark barrier wouldn't be effective in, in high energy waters. Mm. Put them in uh, beaches in uh, the north of the state where you've got the protected waters of the Great Barrier Reef Islands. Um, do that. We costed it out. You're going to increase employment. You're going to um, have an Australian invention uh, because we've got Australian uh, developers uh, working on the software uh, behind these drones and developing the operating procedures and need to be employed to run them. Mm -hmm. They need to be beach safety experts. Fishermen are not that. Why do they need to be beach safety expert, experts? I'm just playing devil's advocate, that's all. I, and I, I get that, and I, and I absolutely appreciate you asking that because it's forcing me to to explain it as as, as concisely as I can and, and give good reasons behind our view on this. So, you know, one of the lines I trot out is we've got shark nets and drum lines right now, which is the system you get when you put beach safety in the hands of fishers. Well, it's an antiquated system, full stop, yeah. isn't it? You know, we're, yeah. we're well. So these guys work. know how to go and kill sharks, mm. um, and they have not got the empathy. Um, they've got a different mindset to us, and they're going to defend the system that they got, and they do. Mm. Um, and they've been on a pretty good bloody gravy t- train for years on this. And and I'll stand and say that, um, you know, 
I believe that for some time, and I don't think it's now, but I believe that, that for some time that we have a whole lot of really nasty um, activity going on within the Queensland Shark Control Program in the, in the name of shark finning. I believe that we had um, contractors who were finning sharks and able to sell those sharks on shark fins on the market. Um, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that something that's factual? I can point to um, at least one case where uh, a shark contractor in 2016 was caught by fisheries and charged with that offence and found guilty in court of finning sharks and they were the contractor on the Rainbow Beach um, shark net. So there is fact in that. It has happened and I can tell you that the stories I have heard over the years, unsolicited stories that have come to me, have made me believe that that at a, that for a time this has been endemic in the system. And the fact that there's no in in um, independent oversight of this system and hasn't been for years tell me that it's a very distinct possibility that's been going on. Mm. Um, so you know, I'm I'm quite comfortable in saying that there's, that there's that, there is that strong possibility, and it's been brought out in court. Um, at least that once. Okay. But play again, devil's advocate, that could be mm-hmm. just a one-off. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We can't make no. the assumption, but... Yep. Yeah. And, and I am 100% not saying mm. that that was every contractor. I've been out there enough and had um, very aggressive defence of those shark nets by the contractors when we've been out there doing what we're, we're doing. Mm. Um, I, I mean... Um, almost physical aggression um, in car parks when I've been challenged by uh, contractors uh, and on the water. Uh, but I, I suppose they would just see you as some sort of Greenpeace oh, hippie. 100%. You're just a Absolutely. pain in the ass. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, uh, we we were the pain in the ass, greeny hippies, thorn mm. in their side, going up against their um, job. And look, I am not going to say that I wouldn't believe that they. Um, wouldn't believe that they're doing a, a good job of making beaches safer. Safer. Mm. Mm. Um, I get that. Uh, I take a very different um, uh, belief because uh, I've looked at uh, the science, the data around it, and, and um, taken a, a view uh, that's probably more encompassing than, than what um, a contract for the fisheries department maintaining a, um, a system that's designed to kill sharks with the idea that, Reducing the number of sharks is going to make people safer. Part of the solution is going to be education. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've proven that an education program that's pervasive, well-funded, continuous can make a difference to to, uh, what people do. And we can do the same thing. And I think when we put drones in the sky and the beaches uh, in the southern part of our state and in New South Wales to replace shark nets, we most certainly can uh, change... Uh, the safety regime that we've got, but we've got to have it with with a good education program. Jono, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hit your director mate up. Let's get him on the show and everyone else. Send them all. I'll give them a call and I'll, I'll point them in your direction. Happy days. Cheers, Jono. Thank you very much for being on the show. Bye, everybody. Matt, thank you very much. Bye, everyone. This is Scuba Go Go Under the Sea, the podcast for the inquisitive diver.